0: Welcome to the podcast. Thanks
1: so much. great to be here.
0: Yeah, likewise. So, to kick things off, could you tell us a little bit more about what you and the team are working on over at Stash?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, Stash is a mobile app based and web based financial service platform. We're um, very mission based. So, our mission is to um, enable Americans to make lasting financial progress through delivering advice and through um, a tech platform that really anyone can use if you have a smartphone uh, or a computer. And we do that through providing financial education. We allow people to buy fractional shares. So no limitations on kind becoming a shareholder of Amazon because Amazon is so expensive. Help people make financial progress through education, a fractional share investing. So everybody can really own a piece of what they want with no limits on the price of the stock we deliver advice through diversification and dollar cost averaging certain collections and our bank product has has no hidden fees so we launched the bank product you know that's one of our most recent products and that's really to help our customers stop paying a lot of their hard-earned dollars in bank fees specifically overdraft fees We also have a really cool feature called stock back operates very much like cash back, but every time you spend, instead of earning cash, you earn a little bit of stock in the company where you just made a purchase. So pretty cool, engaging, interactive feature. And um, we're really proud of it.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. And could you tell us a little bit more about your role and how you ended up at Stash?
1: Yeah. You know, I was the first lawyer at Stash and I, you know, from day one, I think i have really put the general and general counsel. I do, I kind of have my hand in, in everything you could think of for being, you know, for starting as a sole lawyer and that's leading all of our transactional work. So, you know, think of, you know, fundraisings, corporate governance, interactions with the board, checking for board meetings, you know, creating our subsidiaries. I deal with a lot of investor matters, um, things the investor, investors need, um, share transfers, things like that employment stock options is a big one for startups so stock options you know is is a big incentive for people to come work for us and i do a lot of work on you know managing that logistically but also helping to explain the value of those to to our employees and privacy intellectual property commercial vendor contracts we are very heavily regulated as a financial services platform. So we've got an investment advisor, broker- dealer, we have state insurance brokers. So we've got all sorts of complex financial services, regulations across the platform that that I help our, our teams work through. Um, and we are always innovating and shipping new features and new products. So there's a lot of my job that goes into what, what you would call, you know, product counseling. The compliance team, we have a large compliance team, uh, which probably surprising being in financial services. So I, I have um, that team report up into me as well as most recently, our enterprise wide risk team also moved uh, up and under me. So I've got legal compliance and risk, you know, that's kind of what I do. There's a lot there to to kind of think about, but that's all what's under me. And it's, it's fun to to kind of have my hand in in a lot of that. Um, As far as the path that led me to stash, I went straight out of law school to Sullivan and Cromwell. I was there for maybe about nine years in our financial institutions group, commonly known as our FIG group. Part of kind of the mantra of that group is to to train its lawyers in a generalist philosophy. And that's, you know, you kind of have to have a grasp on legal issues across a pretty broad spectrum so that you can issue spot and ultimately be a much more valuable advisor. So that was really, you know, kind of implanted in me and instilled in me from my days as a, as a junior associate and while I was at SNC. So I, I do have a lot of kind of where I am today, I have a lot of that to think for, for SNC. Also made the jump to stash ultimately through networking. SNC set up a career counseling center, maybe a year or so before I left to really help connect associates who were thinking about next steps and all of the job postings that come into partners there and ultimately made the connection there and, and over to Stash. So it was, it was networking. And I think that might be one of the things we talk about today is the importance of networking for career moves. That's how I got to where I am.
0: That's awesome. And this episode is largely focused on things that first time GCs should know, one of the questions I was just curious about is how do you structure your day? You're, you're working on so many different areas. It's a fast-growing company. What does a normal day look like for you?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you sent me some of these questions in advance <laughs> because I, I had to think a little bit about this one. And you know I had to really look at my calendar over the last week or, or months to really see what I've been up to. Sometimes you kind of it's so entrenched in the day-to-day, you forget, you forget really kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis. But at, at this point, you know, I started as a sole lawyer, but now we have two lawyers, a paralegal, our compliance team uh, size is in the double digits. And then our risk folks, our kind of dedicated risk folks are, are two people. So my team has grown considerably since I've been there. And I've also moved up sort of from a VP level, and this might mean, not mean much, you know, because it's, it's very company specific, but I've moved from BP level up to our C suite level. So we've moved both up in seniority and expanded the growth of our team. So my role today is much more of a management role than it was on day one, you know, when right. I was reading every NDA and every contract that went through. So a lot of my day, you know, we have recurring meetings now with both C suite and senior leadership meetings. I have one-on-ones with every one of the people who reports into me uh, every week. And then I also have skip level one-on-ones with a number of people on my team, as well as meetings with people cross-functionally. So there's a lot of information sharing and connecting one-on-one with people across the organization. And then filtering that information and you know to-dos to, to other people on my team um, to really execute and kind of handle from there. So I've really turned more into a management role than, than when I when I first started. So that's that's where a lot of my time now goes. And that's been even more so once you know COVID happened and we we've been operating remote 100 percent since early March. We've made the decision to continue to work remote for kind of the indefinite future as well as make a lot of the roles uh, fully remote optional. So right. the need to communicate effectively and, you know, from a execution perspective, but also from a cultural perspective in making sure you replace all of those in-person interactions with some sort of virtual touch point um, is important. So, you know, I, I've definitely been victim to kind of having more things on my calendar nowadays than I did before. And as we you know get used to to you know what i call asynchronous communication where you can kind of ping people at any time of the day and not expect a response immediately we're still getting used to that as an organization and trying to make some changes to allow that to happen but for now um, i have a lot of just one-on-ones with various people across the world yeah. so so a lot of my times management the mornings i try to really go through you know i get reports from lexology on different law firm memos I get distributions from the Investment Advisors Association, which we're in, from SIFMA, which we're also a member of. We have all sorts of Slack channels dedicated to competition and what other people out there are doing, what's happening in the market. So I really, you know, pre, say, 9 a.m., try to get a handle on what's happening, you know, in the industry and the world and the legal environment and the regulatory environment. So that's really my mornings. I try to do that. Not substantive, but I try to schedule a lot of breaks now. They're working remote. um, is tough. You tend to get stuck in front of the computer more than you did before because you get up and kind of walk around the office. So I am very cognizant to have scheduled recurring breaks on my calendar and also try to end the day at at around the same time, even if I log back on, you know, after my kids go to bed or something. Uh, and then the rest of the day is really TBD, depending on what's go, what's going on. Um, it really ebbs and flows. Last last week we had a board meeting, so there was a lot of prep I had to do for that. But before that, there was a lot of you know COVID related work, return to work plans. What, what are we doing with our lease? What are we doing long term? Issues with people moving across the country and people you know taking trips internationally, you know, what does that mean for tax purposes and employment purposes and all sorts of things? The you know family's first Corona Act, um, there's lots of legislation coming out, PVP loans, there's New York City, New York State legislation and and regulations. So there's a lot to to kind of pay attention to nowadays. So it really ebbs and flows substantively based on really what's going on.
0: Right. Bizarre times. And the quick aside is that out of all the people we work with, we always joke and say, you're always the fastest one to respond to emails. (laughs) Like you're always so fast on emails, which is, which is awesome. Despite how busy you are.
1: You know, it's, it's awesome, but also makes me really, really kind of question how connected I am sometimes, you know, I I think I watch my email and my Slack, like a hawk, but what I don't do well, which a lot of, you know, I met a, you know, we have tons of engineers in our company who are building our app and, and our and our web. And what they do really well that I don't is have with what we call internally maker time, and that is when you block off a decent portion, you know, two three hours of your day to really sit down and focus and and really work and you ignore email, then you, you put your Slack messages, you know, you put the notifications off and you sit down and and it is focus time. So I I like being responsive. I love moving things along, but I also, it's important to balance that with sitting down and, and thinking about those hard things that sometimes it's hard to find
0: time for. Yeah, for sure. And what are some of the challenges that you first encountered when taking the role that you have now that you weren't expecting or prepared for, and how did you overcome some of those challenges?
1: Switching from um, a law firm straight into a startup is is a pretty dramatic shift. So, so there was a couple a couple of those things. I think the first is you know the pace. I mean, I was used at SNC. I was used to having to be available at all sorts of hours and on weekends and whatnot, because client service was our thing. And we wanted to be the absolute best at providing services to our clients, but it's not quite the same as the pace during the day at a startup. We are always innovating. We're always iterating. We're always thinking creatively, always trying to think outside the box and come up with, with things that people have never done before. So it is really, the peace during the day is really pretty nonstop and the peace over time. You know, it, it's it's hard to move that quickly and, you know, being in a legal role, you're by nature, i think, very, you know, risk averse and trying to run down every path that, that something might go down. So you can think through all the legal issues and really think through them and, and tie up the loose ends that that's not something that there's time for, you know, every day. So you really got to move with the pace of the business and be a business partner and, you know, learn how best to accumulate facts and get a decent handle, a good handle on the law and kind of make a judgment very quickly. So that takes some getting used to the pace and being comfortable with with decisions you make when you may not have the full story You know, maybe you have to caveat your answer with, you know, this is where I came out with now based on the time I have, but the the pace is a big one. And that's a big, you know, it's a big startup thing. One of our competitive advantages against financial incumbents is really our ability to move very, very quickly.
0: Right. You were just touching on this in terms of, you know, lawyers generally mitigating risk and being a little bit more risk averse compared to say the CEO or, you know, one of the founders of a company. Uh, what tips do you have for streamlining communication with C-suite board in order to really balance, you know, the priorities you have as a legal advisor to the company, along with moving really fast and, and being very fast paced?
1: You know, I, I think I'll first sit with the board because it's kind of on my top on top of mind because we just had a board meeting. I think for the board, you know, the reality is, you, you know, generally have one meeting in a quarter and it's a couple of hours. You're packing so much information into that meeting. You know, you distribute a deck and some some supporting materials beforehand, but you really only have a couple hours and the legal part in our industry, it's a very integrated part of the product. But, but for the most part, the legal section is just one section in the whole host of information that you're trying to convey to the board. So for me, it's really thinking back, like what are the things they need to know? What could possibly blow up? And for those things, you want to be able to kind of highlight to them in that board meeting and in those materials so that they know the biggest risks facing the company. You know, whether it's privacy issues, whether it's regulatory exams that are going on, regulatory inquiries, some sort of customer complaint. Do you have material litigation? Did your auditors find anything? So you really got to look through your priorities and and the most important items and and focus on those because you're not going to hit everything. For the board, I'd say you really got to focus on those high ticket items. For the C-suite, I take a little bit of a different tactic because I do talk to a lot of those members as well as the whole group much more often. So I really have their ears. So it's not as much really focusing on the big things necessarily, because there can be little things, you know, that are very tactical on a specific day that I just need some guidance from other people, you know, that I might not um, raise the board level, but for C-suite, I feel the most success I've had is when you make it real, you know, right. here's my issue, here's how it could go wrong. And then this is how it would affect us, you know, if this happens. So if this, then that, Here's my probability of that happening, and here's my recommendation. So you really focus on kind of how something would play out so people can feel a little bit more real rather than too abstract. So I feel like making it real is a good tactic. And always including what we call a TLDR. I don't know how many other people use that, but the too long do not reads, you know, hit them with, with the, the conclusion. You know, people don't read. You know, really long emails. They don't listen to really long soliloquies, just hit hit the high level and go
0: from there. Right. Now those are all some really good points. And following up on that, what are some of the skills that you think GCs should really work on improving or even aspiring GCs in order to be successful at the job aside from you know direct communication? Are there any other ones that come to mind? This
1: one's a pretty easy one for me. And I think this one is be curious about the business, the industry, the macroeconomic environment. Just be curious about things and learn about everything you can. That is something that I wish I did more of over the course of my career, even for those things. So like at s we were generalists, but there were those very specific items, you know, that you would always loop in the specialist from intellectual property. You'd always loop in the specialist from employee benefits and comp. And hey, guess what? What takes up a lot of my time these days? Employment-related issues, comp issues, and not not at all negative, but like options. Like those are things that are really, really practical everyday questions when you get in-house. So really just always be willing to learn. You don't have to be an expert in everything, but but you want to be well-versed enough to have a conversation about it and also have a conversation with Your external, you know, whether it be your external auditors or a consultant or your outside counsel, or, you know, like you guys, if we get an attorney through law trades, you you always want to be well-versed enough to have a conversation of something and then deliver, you know, where you come out to others internally. Because sometimes you're going to be the one delivering that and you need to understand it well enough to answer questions about it.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. And switching gears here a little bit, you know, a lot of GCs or aspiring GCs have to deal with. Areas that they probably didn't deal with, like budget approvals, you know, that was when we were sort of surveying some of our close GCs that we know about questions to potentially ask you, your approach on budget approvals for your department was one thing that uh, was asked. So I'm curious to get your two cents on how you generally navigate that and, and what are some tips for GCs that are even at smaller companies that might not have bigger budgets, or maybe they're asking their CFO for a budget approval for the first time, like what are some of your approaches and, and how do you navigate budget for your team?
1: Yeah, things like this are one of the toughest things but for someone like me who is coming out of a law firm. This was totally foreign to me. You know, the idea of things like coming up with a budget or a headcount and making hiring plans was very, very foreign to me. So for budget approvals, first, it's really, really important to have a good relationship with, in my case, the CFO and, and his team so that, that when you make... Mistakes and you don't kind of estimate for something, it's okay, you know. So, build the relationship with the finance team so you have a little bit of leeway there. I think it's important for organizations or departments like legal and finance to be close and have a good working relationship for many reasons, but budget is one. But this was one of the toughest things I did. I think an important part of the budget, like I mentioned, is the headcount. So, really getting a grasp on trying to look out, you know a year in advance to think about headcount, because the reality is salaries are really one of the biggest parts of the budget. And what I did for headcount, you know, I'm on all sorts of listservs. Many people, you know, are part of TechGC who are probably listening to this. But but one thing a lot of people on TechGC ask are things like headcount. You know, how many lawyers do you need for a company of such and such size? in such and such industry. And I monitored a lot of those. I think I even put out some questions, but that question goes around pretty often and you can get a decent guess kind of how many lawyers you need just based on headcount. It's a really, really good estimate. And then you can go from there, depending on what industry you're in, whether it's financial services and healthcare, you probably skew to more lawyers per hundred or so employees, but it's a really good baseline to go off of. And then you base your hiring off of the company-wide employee projections. And you may not know what someone's going to do when you hire them, you know, when you put in that number, but at least you have the headcount in the budget and you can decide what that person does later. I have done that before. Because of that relationship with the finance department, you know, the other big spend item that comes up is outside counsel. Law trades that's kind of near and dear to your heart is um, how
0: expensive
1: outside counsel fees are. But that's a big one. And sometimes it's out of my hands. So I do the best I can based on kind of strategically where we see the year going. You know, is there a product that's going to really require a very specialized outside lawyer, you know, whether it's through law trades or a law firm? And you kind of can try to account for these blips. You know, are we fundraising? That's something that's very typically you need outside counsel for. So you try to get these kind of big blips in the budget. And then some of the little, you know, we overspent this much for the smaller issues doesn't really matter as much because you got some of the big, what I call blips in there.
0: Right. Got it. And you were just touching on this now in terms of like headcount, but what tips do you have for GCs that are you know, thinking about hiring, or maybe they're about to make their first hire? How do you navigate that? What tips do you have? And, you know, any potential resources that you found work well in building your team?
1: As the sole lawyer, what what immediately comes to mind for this is really think about, take an inventory of your day, and where you spend your day for a week, maybe two weeks, and really see what are the substantive areas that someone else should really be doing for you? And what are those areas? So for me, when I was a sole lawyer, I spent a lot of time, like more time than I really should have, reviewing contracts, reviewing MBAs, right. getting in contracts through signature process. And it became, as we grew, very time-consuming and maybe not the best use of my time. You know, when there were much more bigger kind of strategic issues that needed to be considered that I just didn't have time for. and I just kept putting off because they weren't quite as urgent, but they were really important. I suggest really doing, you know, really taking an inventory of your time. And my guess would be, if you're the sole lawyer, you could probably really use a legal assistant or a paralegal before your next legal hire. And what you don't want to do is kind of go all in and get a, get a lawyer and really only be giving them things that, you know, may not be great for their career as a junior or potentially senior lawyer. So really, I highly recommend really looking at what's taking up your time and really thinking about who best should be doing that. And again, my guess would be a paralegal or legal assistant, especially a good one is just a huge, huge asset. I can't stress it enough. We're super blessed to have a great paralegal. He's now a senior paralegal because he's that great. And he just frees up a ton of time for the three lawyers, including myself on my team. And he functions very, very autonomously and does just a ton of stuff for us.
0: Yeah. He's great. (laughs) Talked to him a few times. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, one of the things that I wanted to run by you too, is a lot of firms are laying off associates, cutting costs and things like that. And there's, you know, at least on our end, we're definitely seeing a lot more action on law trades since this whole COVID-19 pandemic struck and also, you know, just seeing a lot more need for flexible talent. And I'm curious to get your two cents on how do you think about ALSPs and utilizing outside counsel? Like, when do you consider one over another, whether it's a cost savings type of thing or practice area? When do you decide which route to go usually?
1: I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're ashishi knows very well, but we're now in our second lawyer through law trade. And so I I feel like, you know, coming back the second time around is the ultimate compliment in really kind of supporting what you all provide. And for me, something like a law trade provides a very different service than a law firm. And for people who are in law firms, you really don't know that it exists until you exit the law firm environment. right? Look, law firms are always going to have their place. They have resources. And when there are deals that come in, M&A, IPOs, fundraisings, debt financings, like there are deals and there are probably the analogous on the litigation side with cases of a certain size and a certain level of just complexity, you know, where there is again, you get into those specialties with the IP and the common benefits and you need a one-stop shop to really handle a deal in all aspects of it. Law firms are always going to have their place for things like that, where you just need the heavy lifting and you need the expertise. But that's not always the need. For us, we use law trades when first for my maternity leave and next for another woman on my team's maternity leave. And what we needed then was not An outside counsel, you know, it just, it wasn't what we needed. And if we had done a secondment from law firm, it would have been much more expensive and not really the right substantive fit either. Like a law firm associate who hasn't been in-house is not quite the same as, you know, someone who we have like now through law trades who has been in-house at multiple places, is a senior lawyer and really has come in and, and taught us a lot. So to me, you know, both will have their place. I can't stress enough the benefit that having someone like our, our current contractor in who's kind of been there and done that and has really helped us out, jumped in. And, you know, she's just another in-house lawyer and she knows how to weigh risks. She knows how to work autonomously. She knows how to talk to business people. So it's a very different service to me and a very valuable one.
0: That's so awesome. Shout out to Nicole. I told her we were right. recording this. <laughs> Before I let you go, I have two more questions. So are there any software tools that you swear by that have made your job a lot easier? And if not, it's totally fine.
1: Yes. I have a couple that I think are really indispensable, which is Carta. Many of us are probably familiar with Carta. I did not know what Carta was until I made the switch to in-house, but it is cap table management. Yeah. and. I do not know what a life would be like without cap table management software. The idea of trying to track shares in some sort of spreadsheet, much less physical shares, especially nowadays when we're not in office is frightening to me. So Carta is a huge one. I use it probably every day and they also have software in in it for board consent and things. So I, I use that as well. And good old electronic signature software, DocuSign or you know, some other competitor, but we use DocuSign. We sign this you know, paper and scan it to me and PDF it to me. We just don't operate that way unless we absolutely have to. So DocuSign is definitely one that, that we rely on every single day.
0: Awesome. And I didn't send you this question in advance, but I was curious to get your take on what's going on in New York City in terms of reopening. And, you know, there's so much talk about how, you know, I was like reading this article earlier today about how New York City is dead. And, you know, I know you you lived here for a while. You're in the area now. Like, what's your current take on New York City coming back and all the challenges that it's going through now? Curious to get your two cents on that since, you know, you guys had an office here, you lived here, etc.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm one of those people who left New York City in mid-March. I have three small kids, you know, school did not go back in session. And we were in a 2 bedroom apartment with three kids and a dog. So we were already busting at the seams. And once we didn't, my husband and I didn't have to be there for work. Like I said, we've been remote since early March and we've been operating great. We've been growing. So, you know, once we were remote, it was a little bit of a no-brainer for us when, when our lease came up to get out of of New York city um, just from a expense perspective, but we're going to reassess whether we open a physical space in New York city. We absolutely plan to, once some of this has passed, we're going to save some rent in turn, but we absolutely plan to come back to New York city. We expect to have employees across the country, but we will bring everybody back. Our culture is big for us. And we continue to see the need to have everyone get back together to work a little bit, but also just make the personal connections and New York city will be our base going forward. So, you know, who knows when we actually have open up the physical space, but we will, and it'll be a hot desk game since everybody won't be here. Right. You know, I lived in New York city since 2007, you know, I went to law school there and that's where my, my work life and, you know, I've grown my family there, a lot of people make kind of comparisons to 9/11. I wasn't there when when 9/11 happened, but I'm confident that New York City will be back. Maybe it'll take a while because you know the restaurant scene and the bar scene and the shows and the sporting events and the access to all of those, you know, by walking down the street or getting on the subway or taking a taxi is just so great. And, and those will all be back, you know, over time. And I think New York City is resilient and maybe, you know, I won't be living there, but I'll certainly be in the area and within commuting distance. Right. And I think it'll be back. And I think New York City is resilient. And I, I think it'll get there. It's just a matter of time.
0: Yeah. Hard to bet against the greatest city in the world.
1: That's right. That's
0: right. <laughs> awesome. Well, Meredith, I, I really thank you for your time. Are there any last parting words that you want to throw here? Any plugs or anything like that? If you want to shout out where people could find you and stuff, that'd be great also.
1: Yeah, I know people can always reach out. I think I mentioned networking in the beginning, but I'm available at Meredith at stash.com. Pretty easy. I'm always open to meeting people. I post on TechGC pretty often. So you can probably find me there, but love making connections and also just love getting other people's perspective on legal issues and personal issues and all sorts of things. Um, as a lawyer, as a lawyer with kids, as a lawyer working remotely, there's all mm-hmm. sorts of things that are going on now. And, and I love connecting with people. And I think my only other thing would be, you know, I didn't, Nicole is our law <laughs> trades lawyer right now. I was reluctant to say her name because. I have enjoyed having her so much now that I didn't want to uh, risk any competition and for her time. But since you spilled the beans, Nicole is fantastic. And um, we just had a great experience with her. And I think one of the most surprising things, you know, you you didn't ask me to make a shameless plug for for law trades, but I will say that one of my biggest concerns kind of having someone just jump in was, you know, how did they get up to speed? It takes me months to onboard new lawyers onto my team, you know, how can someone jump in that quick? And I got to say, it was really seamless. It really was. And whether that was work that I did or my team or the woman who was going out maternity leave, or whether it was Nicole, it was probably some combination of all of that, but it was really seamless. And you wouldn't think someone could get up to speed so quick and just really be a great resource when you feel like you're, you know, at a startup, you're consistently understaffed from a legal perspective. She's been absolutely great. So my, my, my takeaway at least for, for people considering law trades would be don't think that someone can't get up to speed quickly. It's very possible if you do it the right way, you know, on your end and on the lawyer's end who's coming
0: in. Awesome. Thanks so much, Meredith. I really appreciate this.
1: Same. It was fun.